You're listening to Expanding Horizons, the podcast of the Unitarian Church of South Australia, a home of progressive spirituality and free religious thought and action since 1854. The views expressed in these podcasts are those of the speaker and are not intended to represent the position of the church itself or of the worldwide Unitarian Universalist movement. For more information, visit unitariansa.org.au. Good morning and welcome everyone. I'm going to throw in a controversial notice. It's really an observation about something that goes on in our society and in our media. Because being mixing with people from various faiths as I do, it's particularly uh, felt acutely the, I'm talking about the media reporting of the terrible shooting that took place in a Queensland town recently with a couple of police officers killed. Now, what hasn't been emphasised in the reporting is the avowed Christian, libertarian, fundamentalist, anti-vax philosophy uh, of the shooters. Uh, the criminals and I just find in the media reporting they won't uh, emphasise that Christian label not that it's in any way Christian behaviour but they won't emphasise that label whereas if they had been Muslim they would have been terrorists vilified etc etc so I just Bring that to your attention so that as you receive the news in whatever way you want to, you're aware of that filter that goes on. So it's customary to light this flame on top of this chalice. And I'm reminded that thousands of years ago, primitive people gathered around the flame in the middle of winter, hoping for renewed sunshine which brought life to their community. We gather here today striving to understand this universe around us, this world we're in, in much the same way. We might understand the timing of the seasons and the astronomy better than they did, but we're still searching. And just like they gathered around the Yule log thousands of years ago, we gather around this flame as community in a joint enterprise to move forward together. Now we go to a regular part of the Unitarian service where people are welcome to come up and express joys or concerns in their heart. And it's for the rest of us to listen carefully, without comment, to see how those joys and concerns relate to us, to see what it sparks in us. I'll start with the first candle. So with that uh, candle, I'm expressing concern and grief about the police officers who were gunned down 
And I think of the anxiety of every police officer around the, the country, around the world, who goes out every morning or every night not really knowing what to expect in their work. They have to be ready to be diplomats, to be social workers, but then also confront violence at times. So I spend a moment reflecting on them. And I invite any others to come forward, whether it be a concern or a joy they wish to share. Well, uh, if there are no more, I'll just like one more because all of us have our different concerns and anxieties and also joys, reasons for happiness, which we may not be sharing just at the moment. So that's a candle for those unspoken joys and concerns. So let's spend a, a moment just reflecting on what we've heard. Join with me in prayer, if you will, or simply contemplate. The joys and concerns that come to us, unplanned, uncoordinated, sometimes have a theme. And today especially, we can reflect on the mental health problems, the, the emotional health problems out in the community. How very fortunate we are. We're so thankful, those of us who feel in full command of our lives through our ability to reason and stay with an even temperament. Our heart goes out to those who struggle with the day-to-day -day demands of life. May they have peace, may they have strength, and may they receive kindness from others. Amen. Now we continue with the Christmas theme with a reading from A Christmas Carol. So thank you, Aaron. This is from A Christmas Tale by Charles Dickens, 1843. Scrooge, the mean businessman, is visited by his nephew Fred just before Christmas. Although Fred has come to invite Scrooge around for Christmas, Scrooge seeks to deflate Fred's cheerfulness, arguing that Christmas has done Fred no good, financially or otherwise. This is Fred's response. There are many things from which I might have derived good, by which I have not profited. I dare say Christmas among the rest. But I am sure I have always thought of Christmas time when it has come around, apart from the veneration due to its sacred name and origin, if anything belonging to it can be apart from that, as a good time, a kind, forgiving, charitable, pleasant time, the only time I know of in the long calendar of the year when people seem by one consent to open their shut-up hearts freely and to think of people below them as if they really were fellow passengers to the grave and not another race of creatures bound on other journeys. And therefore, though it has never put a scrap of gold or silver in my pocket, I believe that it has done me good and will do me good. Well, these reflections I entitled today, A Christmas Story. Uh, you may be disappointed if you wanted to hear the story of the birth of Jesus, which is generally presented as a combination of the inconsistent accounts in the books attributed to Matthew and Luke. I will come back to the symbolism of Christmas in a little while, 
But first, I would like to summarise the charming story by Charles Dickens, A Christmas Carol. Dickens originally entitles it A Christmas Carol in Prose Being a Ghost Story of Christmas. With this short novel, Dickens gave us one of the most famous characters in literary history, Mr Scrooge. No doubt the name was made more notorious by Walt Disney's cartoon creation, Donald Duck's uncle. In any case, you can still hear the expression in common speech from time to time when a miserly attitude is expressed by someone. In the story, Mr Scrooge is the surviving owner of a business firm. His partner, Marley, having predeceased him. Marley's ghost visits him on Christmas Eve and tells him he will be visited by three Christmas spirits, the ghost of Christmas past, the ghost of Christmas present, and the ghost of Christmas future. The ghost of Christmas past takes Scrooge back to his youth, back to days of innocence. But the impoverished young Scrooge prefers money to affection, and his chance for love is ruined. When he sees the happiness of his childhood sweetheart with her family, in contrast to his lonely nights at the office, he's overcome with feeling, though it's not clear whether it is regret or just anxiety at his inability to face the truth of the course he has taken. Haven't we all been there? Looked back on the doors that have closed, the times when, with hindsight, we can see that our actions brought us separation from others rather than love. The times we looked back, recalling our innocent childhood and pondering the circumstances, afflictions and disappointments which compelled us to learn the ways of the world. These ruminations can help us make sense of the past and help us make sense of ourselves. The second Christmas spirit to visit Scrooge, the ghost of Christmas present, shows him the joy and the suffering in the world around him. Due to his focus on the material things of life, he is estranged from both the joy and the suffering of others. Many are preparing for Christmas in a generous spirit and enjoying family time. At the same time, some people are suffering, even facing death. Scrooge is shown two emaciated children represented ignorance and poverty. He's disturbed, troubled, but not yet in the frame of mind to do anything about it. Would it help us to have more compassion if a spirit could show us what is really going on in other people's lives? if we could better appreciate the joy experienced by others in long-lasting loving relationships or the immense satisfaction of parents at their children's achievements, the way in which courage has helped others overcome adversity. Wouldn't we ourselves be encouraged and uplifted and spurred on to be closer to others, to understand and appreciate their human stories? And if a spirit could reveal to us the pain in other people's hearts, pain from the wounds of long ago, pains from broken relationships, the pain of lost children, wouldn't it spur us on to take even more action to offer a word or a touch of comfort 
or to give generously to somehow alleviate the suffering of others in the world. The third spirit to visit Scrooge is the ghost of Christmas future. Ultimately, the spirit shows Scrooge's path leading to isolation, a cold and lonely death. At last, even if spurred on by self-pity, Scrooge resolves to mend his ways, to change the course of his personal history and become a radically more generous human being. He even resolves to give his long-suffering employee a pay rise. How very helpful it would be if a spirit could show us the long-term consequences of our actions and the choices we make. What a boost to our maturity. For to act with long-term consequences in mind rather than acting on impulse is the essence of maturity. And how often we say, if only I knew then what I know now. It could only have made us wiser in relationships and in our generosity to others. What can we draw from Dickens' morality tale? We don't really need Christmas spirits to visit us to be able to reflect on our past actions. We already have the self-awareness to do so. We have the power right now to forgive ourselves the errors of the past. We can right now resolve to live with more love and generosity. We do have the sensitivity to experience the joys and the sufferings of others. There are people we meet every week who invite our compassion. It's entirely within our power right now to make choices based on the long-term benefit of ourselves and others, rather than indulging the passion or sensation of the moment, even if that means eating less ice cream. Well, since 25th December is approaching, it's a good time to look at the symbols of Christmas that are flooding in around us, even Santas on scooters. Where does a free and responsible search for truth and meaning begin? Well, it probably begins long ago in the middle of a northern European winter. With snow on the ground, freezing nights, it was difficult to hunt animals, impossible to grow crops. Human life would be unsustainable unless sunny days returned. There must have been anxiety about whether the good days would come again, and yet somehow, miraculously, every year the wheel turned and the cycle of life continued. And from an old Norse word for wheel, the word Yule came into English for the time of the winter solstice. It doesn't mean Christmas, it is the festival of the winter solstice. At the risk of pasting over numerous local variations, it seems the typical Northern European celebration of the winter solstice involved fire, storytelling, singing songs, eating and drinking. Typically, there would be a bonfire celebration, a flame kept alive through the autumn and early winter that would be used to set the Yule log alight. It was no time for travelling, so it made sense to sit around the fire and sing and tell stories. If there were sheep or cattle, there might have been difficulty in feeding them all through the winter, so it made sense to slaughter some for a communal feast. 
the rituals of sacrifice to the gods, animal, or even human, were an offering to the gods to ensure the return of the sun in the cycle of life. In more recent times, a mere one or two thousand years ago, it wasn't always practical to burn logs in the larger human communities. So an alternative of setting candles or lanterns in trees served the same purpose. The winter solstice remained a festival time of singing, eating and drinking. The festival continued whether the dominant religion of the day was pagan, Roman or Christian. Meanwhile, along the northern and eastern shores of the Mediterranean, the Roman Empire had its own celebrations around the time of the winter solstice, the Saturnalia Festival, celebrating the god Saturn. As in the north of Europe, it was a time of banqueting, the wine flowed freely, gifts were given to loved ones as part of the celebration. In the latter period of the Roman Empire, a holiday was set aside for Dies Natalis Solis Invicti, the birthday of the invincible sun, on 25th December. People 2,000 years ago were still celebrating what appeared to be the strengthening sun as the days began to grow longer. Christians of today need not be offended if one questions whether Jesus was born on 25th December. There's no biblical justification for it. The allocation of 25th December as the birth date for Jesus came in about 300 years after his death. Although it continues to be debated, many historians think it likely that Christian ritual has been grafted onto existing religious practice. An example of the evidence, in the 1100s, a Christian commentator wrote, it was a custom of the pagans to celebrate on the same 25th of December, the birthday of the sun, at which they kindled lights in token of the festivity. In these solemnities and revelries, the Christians also took part. Accordingly, when the doctors of the church perceived that the Christians had a leaning to this festival, they took counsel and resolved that the true nativity should be solemnized on that day. Many Christian scholars have made the birthday of Jesus an article of faith. Perhaps the implicit argument is that if they can prove he was born on a Wednesday or on the 25th of December, whatever, it is somehow seen as corroboration of a historical case for the virgin birth story that one finds in the books attributed to Matthew and Luke. As I pointed out before, the book attributed to Mark and letters written by Paul predated the books called Matthew and Luke. The authors of these earlier works were not so concerned with details about the birth and circumstances of the teacher they were writing about. It's often overlooked that the birth accounts in Matthew and Luke are inconsistent, suggesting that the story of a God being born into the world started developing decades after the death of Yeshua, but they had not become uniformly coherent in the 80s or 90s when Matthew and Luke were written. And I just mentioned that I use the term Yeshua because that's what I believe he was known as in his own community when he was preaching just under 2,000 years ago. And in a way, it's a simple sidestep to avoid the name Jesus, uh, to be honest, because there has been so much loaded onto that name. And indeed, uh, so much uh, loaded on uh, by the 
victors of the debates, which took place over a long period of time, 16 to 1900 years ago. Perhaps I'll talk about that another time. But uh, finally, I must mention St. Nicholas, a Greek bishop who became famous in the 4th century of the Common Era for distributing gifts. The bishop's garments in those days were, or at least imagined to be, red with white trim. The Dutch name, Sinterklaas, for this saint, was brought by Dutch migrants to New Amsterdam, which later became New York. Of course, the local English-speaking Americans couldn't pronounce Dutch any better than the people in England then, or Australia now. So, Sinterklaas became Santa Claus, which became Santa Claus. The image of the big, jolly, gift-giving man in the red suit developed over time through 19th century poetry and stories, not to mention that he was given a big boost by Coca-Cola, who used an established congenial image to promote their sugary drink. So, where does all that leave us with Christmas? What does it really matter when Yeshua was born? Do we need a confected image of a 4th century Greek bishop to remind us of the Christian message? It's not straightforward to sum up the teaching of Yeshua. To the extent one can discern his message from what has been recorded, he often spoke in veiled language. His wisdom was expressed in particular situations. One day he was advocating for mercy, the next day he was advocating for severity. But I dare say two things are clear enough. He advocated for us to love each other. It can take a lifetime, some would say many lifetimes, to be able to offer love without reservation to all whom we encounter. The other central theme of his teaching seems to me to be extreme caution in attaching oneself to the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches. How ironic that the next week will be saturation advertising for the acquisition of objects which we are told will demonstrate our love to others. Perhaps we here, of all people, can remember the reason for the season as we enjoy each other's company at this time of year. Be thoughtful, be helpful, be kind to each other. And then see if you can keep it up for the next 12 months. I just want to say, as my last words of the day, I hope you'll go forth and practice kindness. This, in some ways, is the easiest time of the year, in some ways the most challenging time of the year. So be kind and see if you can keep it up in the year ahead. We hope you've enjoyed this Expanding Horizons podcast. These podcasts are the intellectual property of the presenter. They can be used only with the express permission and appropriate acknowledgement of the presenter. This permission can be obtained by emailing admin at unitariansa.org.au. Please feel free to leave a comment or visit us on Facebook or Twitter by searching SA Unitarians 
or by visiting our website at unitariansa.org.au.